to Flyers AD here. It is Thursday, October 20, 2022 here. Reverse Retro Day is released. They're, they're doing things. The Flyers are a complete boring wet fart. What a surprise. Very fitting, if you ask me. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the on-ice product has been uh, slightly better than everyone anticipated, Anthony. We were talking a little before we started here that, um, you know, I do not hate my life having to turn the Flyers on every night. Yeah, look, like, we they're still not a good team. No. Like let's let's make that clear. And if you go by the process, like I was listening to Mike Kelly, our friend who's been on this show before on TSN, and he mentioned how he would be shocked if they were over five hundred by the time ten games gets through. Or last night off the rush, they were out chance sixteen to two by the Panthers. Like they still are a team that's losing the territorial battle, the shots battle, the scoring chances, all that. But Maybe it's because we came in here with, like, absolutely no expectations, but I'm enjoying it. I don't know why. It's not even because I think, like, they're going to be a playoff team or even close to the playoffs. Certainly not a cup contender. And there still are a lot of question marks on this roster. And, look, there have been disappointments, too. Like, it seems like Lazinski is kind of has a one-way ticket to, to Lehigh at the moment. But, I mean, I just enjoy seeing new talent right now and i like seeing allison i you know obviously you're his biggest fan i thought he's been arguably their best four check checker travis konechny seems like a brand new player without not to say that he has no warts i still think that he isn't the greatest defensively and he's made mistakes but i think that the reason why he's made mistakes is mostly because he's trying too hard which i don't mind and he is scoring goals so if you're scoring at one end of the ice you can live with some defensive mishaps Tony D'Angelo's impact has all over the ice has been well noticed. Scott Lawton has taken his game to a whole new level. Carter Hart is playing elite level goaltending right now. Sandstrom looked good aside from the one goal last night. So look, they're 3-1-0. and Obviously, this the way they're playing isn't sustainable in terms of keeping a winning record over an 82-game stretch. We know they're not going to be a playoff team, but... At least it seems that this is going to be an enjoyable season on at least some level. Yeah, and there's a clear lack of talent, but we knew that going in. We knew the second they told Johnny Gaudreau to fuck off that they were going to roll with a very bare-bones, fringe NHL kind of roster here. And they are. But they're buying into whatever Tortorella is selling thus far. And it's very noticeable. They're they're doing the best with what they have, all things considered. And yeah, when you, you play Tampa and Florida, especially Florida, you know, they were just, the, the speed wasn't even in the same level. You know, they don't look like they're in the same league. They're holding on for dear life against those teams. But a lot of the individual pieces that you want to see succeed, for the most part, are succeeding. You know, you're having some hiccups, you know, and, and Tortorella talked about that. You know, he wants these players to be, to be aggressive, and if they're aggressive... Then the mistakes don't matter. We've seen Tony D'Angelo do it. You mentioned Konechny has had, you know, some highs and lows already this year. But they're they're going hard. They're trying to do their thing. And 
you know, lack of talent aside, you're accomplishing a goal the kids are playing. You know, last night on the uh, six on four, five on three, whatever the hell they were at yeah, uh, the last four. few minutes, Allison was out there, Cates was out there, Zamula was out there. Like, that would have never happened under Dave Hackstall or under AV. You know, you would have never seen the kids get those opportunities late in games to try and score, try and hold the lead or whatever it is. And you're seeing that thus far. And yeah, they're going to make mistakes. And I was talking about this last night because, I, I, you know, when I live tweet from Brotherly Puck, it's a much different timeline than what I'm dealing with on Dan the Flyer fan. These people are fucking wackos over there. But it's like, <laughs> oh, Zamula made a mistake. You know, send him down. I've seen enough of this kid. And it's like, that's the entire po- goal. That's the point of the season is to let these guys, these rookies, these young early 20 guys come in, get their feet wet, make the mistakes, learn from the mistakes, and then walk away a better player by season's end. That's how you do it. For a franchise that has bitched endlessly about developing players, this is how you do it. I'm not going to complain. I like it. You know, I'm I'm totally for Zamula making mistakes. He looked great during the Tampa Bay game, with the exception of the early misread on Braden Point. You know, it's it's going to happen. You know, Felix Sonstrom giving up a softie now again. It's going to happen. You know, this is his first sustained taste of NHL action. You know, so overall, you know, I, I was expecting uh, the doldrums here, and it's not a great product. It's very visibly not a great product, but they're trying hard. They're living up to Tortorella's system thus far, which is all we can freaking ask at this point. So overall, it's been it's been a very surprising season, uh, despite the fact that, you know, the, I, I, <laughs> the next stretch of games here, let's see. Uh, they got Nashville, San Jose, which, you know, are two maybe winnable games. And they play Florida, Carolina, New York, Toronto, Ottawa, and St. Louis. So they, you know, they got a pretty rough stretch at the end of this month here, but you know, I don't think they're going to be winning a ton of games. I think last night you kind of see, uh, see what they're more than going to look like regularly. But for the most part, again, I don't have many complaints right now. And the thing is, is that you, you had to realize here that not every player was going to pan out. Like, Look, for instance, I think that he had a good start, but I think Lazinski has kind of tailed off. You know, losing a spot upper in the lineup to Zach McEwen is kind of indicative that you're not really doing your job. You know, I think Joel Farabee has kind of struggled, but he missed all of training camp and he came back far earlier than expected from an injury. So that's to be expected. I mean, Yugor Zamul, I think all in all, has been pretty good. He had some mishaps last night. And on a side note, quickly, like, how good has Nick Sealer looked in a reduced role? Yeah, he's looked fine playing the third role. He's had some mistakes, as has everybody, especially the, the, the Tampa game, the Vancouver game, whatever it was. He had a few blunders there. But for the most part, like, Nick Sealer's been perfectly fine as a number six. You know, and we always figured that he would be a serviceable defenseman, but when he was lined up with, you know, the fucking crypt keeper, uh, you know, Keith Yandel last season, he, he never had a chance to kind of even look like a semi decent defenseman but he's been fine thus far all things considered it's crazy because of all the defensemen he's the only defenseman with a positive on ice expected goal differential <laughs> like what <laughs> yeah he's the only one according to money puck he's the only defenseman with a positive neg uh, positive on ice expected goal differential like his underlying numbers have been decent and i mean this is a defense aside from tony d'angelo because he is that dynamic player. But, like, most of these defensemen are the kind of guys that if you don't really notice them, it means they're doing their job. Yeah. Like, even a Provorov. I think Provorov had his hiccups against Tampa last night, too. But the, the, the problem with those top four guys, like, even Sanheim has had problems. But, like, they defend so much that they're bound to make mistakes. Yeah. Like, Provorov, Provorov and Sanheim, like, if you go by the analytics, those two have been the worst 
uh, of the top four. But the thing is, is that like you, these guys are defending so much that it's hard to actually like kind of use these analytics and like, you know, like on the topic of analytics, like I, I had a, I, I had breakfast today with an AHL general manager and he kind of told me that analytics fill in the 20% that your eyes miss. And I think that was a really good kind of thing that he laid out for me because like, if you watch the games right now, the, the top four are basically like the, the anchors of this team, like Braun, Sanheim, D'Angelo and Provorov, especially with Ristolainen out. And the way that these guys have to play each and every night is so taxing on them that you're going to make mistakes. And look, have they been perfect? No. But I think all in all, like up until last night, Provorov and D'Angelo hadn't been on the ice for a five-on-five goal against. Provorov, I found more so in Tampa, had struggled. I think Sanheim has had his moments, but he kind of does it in a more quiet way. But, I mean, the, the defense all in all, and I kind of bring up the defense because I was so, like, hot and heavy about it going in, but, like... I look at this defensive group, and this is even without Ristolainen, and we know that there's a segment of the fan base who think he's the worst defenseman of all time, but, like, I think that they're pretty good considering what they have to work with and how much they're forced to defend all the time. Yeah, you know, they've played a vast majority, especially of the last two games in the Florida trip, in their own end. Um, they were getting torched last night by Florida. That was, that was not a fun game from a defensive standpoint. But, again, all things considered right now, they're doing about as good as you can ask. I think Provorov has been fine for the most part, which is, uh, you know, a trending in the right direction for that guy after what everyone kind of just wrote him off, you know, him coming back and looking good. Sanheim hasn't been a complete disaster, which after that contract you want to see. And, uh, yeah, Zmul has been fine more often than not. I think Tort seems to like this kid, which is good. Um, and Sealer's been fine. Braun, you know, I, <laughs> I think last night uh, there was that uh, two-on-one goal where he had to chase... Uh, Whoever the hell the guy is, Carter Verhage down in a foot race. And boy, did he ever lose that one because he's 130 years old right now. But you know what? For the most part, again, given the situation this team is in, the defense has been fine. You know, the preseason did not leave a good taste in many people's mouths in regards to what they could potentially do. But again, all things considered right now, they're fine. And what's so indicative of how much they're playing is that, playing in their own end rather, is that... In terms of offensive zone start percentage, neither, no defense has started more in the offensive zone than they have in the D zone. Like, as of right now, the defenseman who's got the most favorable deployment has been D'Angelo with 48.7 O zone percentage starts. So it just goes to show how taxing these guys have been. And you look at, like, how Tortorella's kind of deployed these guys five on five, and it really seems, and obviously he's gotten more minutes because more total minutes than the rest of the other two because he's played so much on the power play that being D'Angelo but you look at Provorov Sanheim and D'Angelo in that order they've played 60 they've averaged 1650 1625 and 1623 at five on five so it's really nice to see how Provorov and Sanheim and D'Angelo have shared that load off at five on five because with AV and Mike Yo, it really seemed like they insisted on running Provorov into the ground. More yeah. so uh, AV. I thought Yo kind of spread the wealth a bit more and trusted Sanheim. But I've liked what we've seen in terms of balancing the offensive or the, the minutes among these guys. Because, 
I mean, look, I think Sanheim's the worst of the three, and that's no slay against Sanheim. I just think he's a very good second-pair defenseman. But D'Angelo and Provorov, like, they each kind of excel in their own ways. Like, I think Provorov's a bit better defensively, obviously, more physical, very good power skater. But the decision-making that Tony D'Angelo has with the puck is just so refreshing because they haven't had that since peak Shane Goss's bear. And I like the dimension he's brought. And it feels like D'Angelo... Even though I think Provorov's the better overall defenseman, it feels it's nice to see that D'Angelo is kind of like the star and the attention grabber of that blue line because now it just feels like Provorov could kind of slide back into the background. You know what I mean? He's serving his role. He's doing his job, and you know he was brought in to kind of be the offensive guy, um, you know, the star, I guess, of that blue line in the sense of what his role is ultimately going to be. Um, you know, the flashiest one in the bunch and. You know, there were some questions there again during preseason, you know, how these two would end up working out. They didn't look very good in their only preseason game together, but so far it's fine. You know, I, I think Provorov is accepting what role he's in now, and, you know, the lesser minutes should obviously help him in the long term this season. Maybe he won't, see, you know, won't be so broken down by the time the season's end rolls around. So, yeah, overall the defense has been uh, just fine this year. And... As far as forwards go, like, obviously you watched a lot of these guys in Lehigh Valley. Like, who's been the most impressive and who's been the most disappointing? I mean, impressive. I I, I, I hate that I have to say this, but I think Connecting's probably been the most impressive. Ooh, that, that hurt. That hurt my insides to say that. But, uh... You know, Konecki's been fine. He's definitely. Hey, you're you're a fair man. I'm a fair man. Listen, I'll give credit when it's due. It's just it just it just makes my bowels upset. That's all. But, uh, but hey, look, look, like like you said, like if he proves that he's going to be this player all the time, like do you have a problem with Travis Konecki? Fuck! If he played like this for the last six years, I would have never had a problem with the guy to begin with. But you know, yeah, he doesn't. you know, I said I would stick to hockey yesterday that like because Jason Bertitas absolutely ripped Russ Joy a new asshole, which was pretty funny. I saw them feuding on Twitter. Yeah. But you know, because I think that a lot of people have kind of defaulted to being negative more as a gimmick. And like I brought you up and I said that like even though that has been your tagline, negative dad, over the years, you're always a fair man. And when you when even a player is playing well that you don't let's say, historically like, like a Sandheimer now, Konechny, you have no problem acknowledging that they are playing well. Because at the end of the day, all I fucking want is a good hockey team. You know, there are these weirdo positive people out there that just pretend everything is great, you know? And it's like, you know, all I want is a good hockey team. If you put a product on the ice that is good, I'll fucking be the first one to tell you, you know? And for most of the last, well, five, ten years at this point, they haven't. But you know what? There are some bright spots. As your Sandheim's playing well... Konechny's doing good things. JVR is scoring a couple goals. Like, fuck, I'll, I'll be the first one to give these credits. They're, they're, they're doing their jobs. They're trying hard. They're not a complete fuck-up like they have been in the past. So right now I'm totally fine admitting that Konechny's having some decent hockey. I don't know if he can keep it up. You know, that's kind of been the problem throughout his entire career is, is streakiness when it comes to this kind of stuff. But he's playing like a different man right now. This is a Konechny that I don't think we've ever seen in this whole career. So, so far so good for Travis Konechny. Yeah. Look, we're only four games into Tortorella, but I bring this up because you and I kind of were the ones defending AV as, like, not being the complete boogeyman. But, like, again, only a four-game sample size. But do you think that maybe we were wrong about how much of a negative impact AV was having on this team last year? 
I think by the end that bridge had been burned, but I mean, look back to 1920 and that season started well too. You know, it's going to be the long game with Tortorella. And there's a part of me that's almost interested to see this team lose a couple games, get on like a three and four game losing streak and see if this team still buys in the same. It's very easy to be a Tortorella guy when you're winning and you rack up a few of those wins and the, the, the hard work pays off. When those three and four game losing streaks start to rack up, which I'm sure they will at some point. You know, are they still going to be playing with that same level of determination? Is Konechny still going to be a little firecracker out there? Is he going to slow down and give up? And that's going to be the big test with this team more than anything right now, is how willing are they to listen to John Tortorella when things aren't going so great? Um, but, you know, I, there's clearly a difference. Uh, the, the, there's a very palpable difference between what A.B. was doing and what Tortorella is doing. That, that's for sure to answer your question, but, you know, it's too early to tell whether or not they're going to be committed to Tortorella long term you know this team does have a history of giving up on coaches relatively quickly so we shall see how this one plays out over the course of this season and into next year well because I've seen a lot of people recently I think Dan Silver was the first one to or the most recent one to bring it up that like AV was a bad hire and in my head it's like I don't think AV was a bad hire I just think that he got like we've said it he got here a year too late, if yeah. you will. Yeah, it was a bad Because time. I think Tortorella is a better coach because Tortorella could be brought in to serve multiple purposes as opposed to A.V. is a, like a 100% win-now guy. Like, you get him the pieces he wants and he will make it work. Like 1920, as opposed to Tortorella, who can kind of navigate a rebuild. But the question I wonder, and I brought this up a lot with you, with Jay on Stick to Hockey, but like, if Tortorella got here, and I, and I, I, I spoke to Danny Briere a couple of weeks ago, and I remember I think I brought it up last week how he said like he's wondering how guys like Konechny and Lawton will fare, even though they've been on this team for so many years, how they will perform without Giroux and Voracek, and at least right now because he's not playing Couturier on this roster, and I wonder how the Tortorella experiment would have gone had you still had those guys like Giroux Voracek, like if Tortorella had the same situation to work with as, as AV. It's interesting. You know, we don't really know what went wrong with AV. We can make assumptions, you know, the, they're putting on their big boy pants quote and shitting on Carter Hart during the 2020 bubble uh, may have been the, the start of that. But I mean, they were clearly revolting against this guy towards the end. So, you know, I don't know. Like, again, and this may be a Tortorella thing as well. How much bad play is he going to take before he starts throwing some jabs in the media? He's never been afraid to do that, you know. So it, it does pose the question of what would the old guard do in something like this? And and now that they're gone, you know, you're still dealing with a lot of these guys, the Konechny's and Sandman Provorovs that were all, you know, the second-tier guys under Giroud and Voracek and whatnot. So we shall see if any of those bad, uh, bad vibes kind of linger around, but... Yeah, I don't know how the old group would have worked under Tortorella. Maybe he would have been able to uh, wrangle him in a little bit, but, you know, there's always the uh, possibility that they just would have turned on him too. Because obviously there's a hottie move phase going on with Tortorella right now. Yeah. We had that with AV, you know, the be a fucking flyer, all that. But I, and I think Tortorella was a good hire. I really like the Tortorella hire. I like what he's done. It feels like that coaching staff, like even when you just look at them from optics, it feels more legit than, like, Mike Terrian just standing behind there and, like, hugging Alain Vigneault, speaking French and all that. But, uh, <laughs> but like, 
I just wonder, like, not to sell Tortorella, Bradshaw, or Rocky Johnson, whatever his name is, short or whatever, <laughs> the WWE faction back there, but is it more the coaching or is it more the fact that they finally moved on from that old core with Giroux and Voracek, or is it a bit of both? Like, I like seeing these young guys playing, like, even though they're probably a worse team and they're still not a good team as far as the process goes and all that, but, like, it just feels like heading in this direction is so long overdue. Like, I was advocating for this, like, post-2020 bubble, and I guess better late than never, but, like, and again, this is no shot on G. I'm happy to see him doing well in Ottawa and all that, but, like, him specifically, because Voracek was gone and Ghost was gone the year prior, like, is there not just, like, a refreshing thing not seeing number 28 on the ice? In a way, yeah. I, I just think they needed a facelift real bad. And I, I don't know if Giroux was, was a locker room cancer. Like, I highly doubt it. I don't think he survived this long doing what he did if you were a bad guy. I just think he was probably tired, you know, uh, of the losing, tired of this team, tired of the direction. I mean, he's been here for, what, 15, well, was here for, you know, 15 years, and the last 10 of them were real bad. You know, I assume it just takes its toll, and at some point you throw your hands up in the air, and when your leader throws his hands up in the air, everything goes to shit. You know, kind of getting him out, and then bringing in a drill sergeant like Tortorella, who's not going to settle for anything less, you know, is probably a good little mixture of both right now. And, I don't know what they deem the leadership group. They only seem to really care about Scott Lawton as far as, like, proper leaders on this team. But Katuri and Atkinson are missing, so I guess we don't really know where they fit into this puzzle uh, as of right now. But, you know, they really seem to like Scott Lawton, who's been here since 2012. You know, well, he was drafted in 2012. I guess he didn't really make his jump till 2015. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's it's just a nice little mixture of Giroux is gone, Tortorella's here, here's your opportunity to kind of lead this team in a new direction, you're weeding out the week this year, and next year, hopefully in 2023, they start building. And we can talk about that with the Santa extension more in a little bit. But overall, you know, I just think it's a good mixture of, of a fresh slate for everybody and a coach that's going to come in here and whip these fuckers into shape because it's what they've needed for, yeah, you know, three years now. I'm not going to lie. The fact that they've had one alternate captain, I think, is brilliant. Yeah. I, like... I know a lot of people wanted Couture to be captain, or I even thought that they would be kind of rotating A's, uh, A's between, like, Hayes and weird kind of rhyming there, kind of stumped me on my sentence, but, like, <laughs> Hayes and, like, if they're healthy, Atkinson, Couturier, Provorov, maybe Braun, like, maybe Konechny, but, like, I love the fact that not only did he say that there's not going to be a captain that, this year, Tortorella, that is, but there's been one letter and that's Scott Lawton. And guys who have worn letters for like three seasons now in Hayes and Provorov have not gotten those. And I think that those are two guys that, and I think that they've done okay considering. I think Hayes on the PK has been in it. But uh, I think, you know, last night, brilliant pass to Konechny with two seconds left. But I like that because it's all about accountability. And I think Scott Lawton, like, this is the only guy that, like, even the analytics would suggest it is legitimately playing very good hockey right now. Like, I, it's, and I think you tweeted it out last night that it's insane that he was drafted 10 years ago and he's still improving every year. Yep. And for, and I'll, I'll eat crow on this that, like, I was a guy advocating to trade him at the deadline two seasons ago, but, like, I guess they knew something we didn't, and that's why we always preface a lot of these things by saying we're not in the room, because it's clear that Scott Lawton means a lot behind the scenes. I 
think that Scott Lawton is a guy that's really kind of grown into that role and separated himself from that old guard of Voracek and Giroux and really has become a leader on this team. And if he plays like this, $3 million for this guy, I have no problem with it. And I, I re- it's just also refreshing, even though you have guys like Konechny and Lawton and Provorov and Sanheim who have been here for so long, it's just refreshing to see because it feels like a different team. And again, this isn't about them being a good team or winning more games than they'll lose or making the playoffs. We understand that, but it's just about getting back to basics here. And I think there was a clip on the standard, their, their YouTube uh, series where Tortorella says like, it's about playing the right way and wins will come later. Like they're not even focusing on winning right now, which sounds ridiculous. But I think that for where this team was, you had to get back to basics. Like I just don't think that there was any way you could have gone into this season trying to get this back on the rails with an aggressive retool and all that. Like, I think it really comes down to finding out what you have with a lot of these guys, like Allison and Lazinski and Zamul and Cates and all that, Frost too, and we could get into Frost as well, but also just setting a good standard, and I don't like to use that because it's become a cliche when you talk about the Flyers, but setting a good standard and culture for the future generations. And that's why like people who were mad that they were winning games, like I understand that I get it a hundred percent, but it's not the same thing. Like let's say Chicago, like I went through this with Jay yesterday. Like if you look at Chicago, all the guys on their roster, like I had it in front of me yesterday. I don't have it now, but like you have like Tyler Johnson, you have like Jujar Kara, you have Max Domi, you have, Jack Johnson, you have Mrazic and uh, who's the a goalie? Uh, Staylock. Staylock in net. Like none of those guys are going to be there for the long term. So if they are losing games, who cares? They're not going to be there. But the Flyers have a lot of guys, like more than half a dozen, that I think do have significant futures with this team. And I think it was Frank Saravalli who said on his podcast earlier this week that you don't want to get young guys used to losing. And I think that's what we saw in the Hextall era is that all these guys got so used to losing that by the time it was time to win, they didn't give a shit. And yep. look, I understand that in the grand scheme of things, it is better if they tank and get Bedard or Fantilli or Mishkov. I get that. But it's I don't think trying to roll the dice by winning the lottery is worth sacrificing a lot of these guys. And look, there's no superstar here. I get that. But you don't want guys like Allison and even Frost or Cates or Farabee or Zamula to get used to losing or Sandstrom or Hart, all these guys who are under 25. And I just think that this season is about doing all all those things. Yeah, and Mikey D put out a tweet the other day. I understand there are a lot of fans rooting for the tank, but I just cannot get frustrated over another win uh, when your 24-year-old starting goalie tender plays the way he did and the young skaters, especially Noah Cates, perform the way they did. And that's right. You know, as much as it would be cool to add a Bedard, and they could still very much be in those, you know, tank, uh, well, not tank, they could very much be in the lottery by the end of the year, you know, depending on how the season plays out. But... At this point in time, I would much rather win a few extra games and get pushed out of lottery contention, but walk away with a young foundation of players that are NHL caliber, that know what the fuck they're doing, that have their feet wet, versus just 
you know, <laughs> getting Bedard and expecting him to come in and save the day, right? That's Your team is still a turd. It's just a diamond-encrusted turd now, right? If you just throw like Bedard in here and expect him to save the day. If you can develop Noah Cates and Wade Allison and Igor Zamula and Felix Sonstrom, and all of a sudden you've got a young team composed of players in their early and mid-20s, and then next summer you add, you know, if Dylan Larkin becomes available next summer, you add a legitimate bonafide center here, plus a roster full of guys that are now NHL established players, all of a sudden you're golden. You know, you're you're on the right path. So yeah, you know, if you're one of the guys that like to tank, I don't think that was ever going to be an option, like legitimately. There's just too much talent here to fail. You know, I don't know if the Flyers' top stars are as good as Arizona or Chicago, but the Flyers have so much more depth than either one of those teams. You've, the Flyers have four third lines here, whereas, you know, the Coyotes have one top line and three, you know, AHL third lines, you know. So at the end of the day, the, the talent differential, I think, is going to prevent them from truly tanking. But at the end of the day, if you walk away with a lot of these established guys of Allison and Frost and Cates all look like, you know, legitimate even if they're just middle six guys, you can add in free agency and via trade next year to try and find a top guy or two to push these guys because they desperately need some help in that category. Because I don't think any of these guys are legitimate bona fide stars. But in the meantime, you know, if you can establish this team, which that's the path they're taking this year, they're doing it so far, fine. You know, you can throw away a chance at Bedard as long as this team walks away better at the end of the day. And at this point in time, that's, that's the way uh, things seem to be trending. Do you... You've been to Lehigh Valley games recently. Do you have an opinion? And I know we've talked about this before, but do you have an opinion on Ian LaPerriere? I think a lot of the... I don't, listen, I'm not going to defend LaPerriere. I'm not. But I do think he's one of those guys that's been here for like 15 years at this point. And there's just kind of that knee-jerk reaction of, Oh, fuck Ian LaPerriere! You know, from the fan base. And... I think it was very hard to get a read on him last year just because there were so many injuries and so many call-ups. I mean, they were rolling an ECHL roster most of the season where I think it was difficult to see what his ultimate plan was. And, you know, Tortorella's talked about not forcing his system on LaPerriere, which then people complained about, which is funny because they complained about it last season when AV wanted LaPerriere to do the exact same thing that he was doing. So I don't know what the fuck these people actually want, but... I don't know. You know, the home opener is Saturday and Sunday. I'll be there for both of those games. So, you know, we'll, we'll start to get into this a little more as the season takes off. But I, I, I are there better options than Ian LaPerriere out there? Yes, absolutely. Is he the worst? I have no idea because I don't think he's gotten a legitimate fair shake as a head coach in the AHL just yet. You know, I, I don't know. I, I'm very neutral on the guy. Uh, as as we get going here and with the health and the depth that the AHL currently has, if things go sideways, then maybe we'll talk about this topic. But for right now, it's just kind of, it's just too early to tell for me. Well, how many games have you been to so far this season? What have you seen? Like, what do they have to work with down in Lehigh? Because it feels like, aside from Forster, Denway, Wisdom, obviously York, there's not much else down there, or am I wrong? Yeah, you know, yes and no. I have been to one rookie game and one preseason game. Like I said, the home opener is uh, Saturday. So I'll be there four times in the next eight days, I think, because they play next weekend at home too. But, you know, they got Forrester down there. You got Cam York. Ronnie Adderd is down there right now as well. Uh, Desnoyers has been looking decent thus far. Lexel's back down there. Um, Wisdom, Urson. So, you know, they, they, they 
got some decent names down there. I don't know if it's quite as deep as it was in the Hextall era, full of those weird Hextall guys. You know, Matt Strom's not here anymore. But, you know, they, they the next wave of prospects, more or less, is in the AHL right now. Um, so we shall see. Again, it's a bit of much improved roster. You know, a lot of the Hextall guys were flushed out. The Shushkos and Stroms and all those, you know, weird guys that were still hanging on are, are basically gone at this point. Um, so it is the next generation of prospects down there, which I'm, I'm excited to see and we'll see where they start falling in here um, in their development. But, you know, I, I haven't seen much yet, but over the next uh, two weeks, I'm going to be seeing a whole lot of them. So, again, I'll have more of an opinion on this as, uh, as time goes on. And what about Adam Ginning? How's he looked? Adam Ginning is built like a brick shit house. I forget what he's listed <laughs> at, but it's not very big. But the dude is fucking massive. Adam Ginning. Not Sandler. It's not who we're looking at here. No, I could deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, listed at 6'2", 192, which actually feels a bit small. But man, I don't, you know, he's not doing anything overly wrong from the two games I've seen him in, which I guess is all you can ask at this point. But man, he's a, he's a big freaking dude. Big solid guy. My kind of defenseman right there. <laughs> because he's playing with Wiley? I believe that was how it went out last weekend. Yeah. And now that we've seen Zamula play, because again, I defer to you because you've seen these guys so much in Lehigh Valley. Do you understand slash agree more with the decision towards Took to keep Zamula over over York? Yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, you had to make a decision with one of them. You either had to play York in the NHL and let Zamula handle the top guy minutes in the AHL, or you let Zamula get his feet wet in the NHL and then put York in the AHL and actually let him develop. And luckily, they're doing one of those two. If they would have put them, uh, put them both down there, that would have been that would have been real dumb. So yeah, you know what? If they, if they're intent on York being the AHL for whatever their reason is, whether they dislike the guy, whether they want him to develop, whatever the case is, if he's down there, Zamula has to be in the NHL. And so far, they've done that, and Zamula's looked fine. You know, he's had his moments, both good and bad, which again is expected. But uh, overall, you know, I, I'm 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 baffled they actually did the right thing when it came to the defense at the end of the day. And the rest of the line in injury, I guess, helped that out a little bit. But, you know, they they, they did the right thing. Uh, York and Adder during the AHL. Zmula's in the NHL. You know, Sealer's theoretically your seventh when Ristolainen is healthy. So, all things considered, you know, the, the defense actually shook out the way it was supposed to. Because it sure didn't look like it was going to there for a little while. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm fairly happy with how that situation turned out. Well, I think it's because they have they they think that York has a higher ceiling than Zamula. Like Zamula, like if we're being honest, like what's his ceiling here? Probably like, a very good third pair guy. Yeah, exactly. Like long stick, quiet defenseman. I actually kind of like how they've tried him on the right side because obviously, if he could develop into a, a guy who could play the right side, it's going to increase his, you know, uh, flexibility throughout the lineup. Obviously, they're much deeper on the left side. I, I I like how Tortorella has handled this. Like, obviously, uh, at the first look, I thought, like, well, why isn't Zamula on the right? Why shouldn't Sealer be there? But I guess for them, they're saying, well, we know what Sealer is. Who cares if he could play the right? He's not here long term. Zamula, like, if he could develop into a guy who could play the right side, kind of like what Robert Hag did, maybe in a few years when a Ginning comes up or an Andre comes up or a York is on the third pair, like you have now a guy who's on the right side and then you have Adders on the right side. Like 
I don't know if Wiley has an NHL future, but he's a right shot. Like, I, I liked the decision they took there. And I think that going forward, their defense is kind of set, to be honest. And I guess we could kind of dive into the Sanheim stuff. Like, I'll let you go first. Obviously, both of us were advocating. Well, you more so just didn't want to keep him. I just was hoping they would wait to sign him. Where are you kind of at with that Sanheim extension? It was a Chuck Fletcher contract, if ever there was one, where it's not great, but it could have been so much worse. But at the same time, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, 6.2 is fine, especially when the cap goes up over the next few years. That's not the problem. I don't like that it's an eight-year deal. You know, he's going to be 35 when that contract expires. Um, which if we've learned anything over the last 12 months is that 30 year olds don't, you know, (laughs) necessarily age very well, uh, especially for the Flyers. So in that sense, it's fine. I I just, man, I don't know. I I think, speaking of Cam York, I think it tells a little bit of how they feel about York's future. If the organ, and this is not me, this is not Dan the Flyer fan shit on York. I don't want to hear that because I hear that on Twitter all the fucking time. But just you being objective. It's reading the tea leaves on this one. You know, if the organization truly felt as though Cam York was a legitimate top four option between now and the start of next season, would they re-sign Sanheim? Would they rush to re-sign Sanheim, I guess would be the, the, the phrasing on that one. And I feel like the answer would be no. So, I, this, I, listen, York could very well have an NHL future. He could very well be good in the NHL. But, you know, I do kind of question how they view him right now from an internal perspective in that sense. Because, you know, locking him up long term, you still have Provorov for two more years beyond this one. You know, do they move Provorov now? We were talking about this all summer long. I don't get the feeling they do. I, I really doesn't feel like an impending trade is happening on that one as much as it would make sense. But... I don't know. I have no idea what their plan is on this one. And, and that was the problem with re-signing him in the first place, was it puts the organization in a really weird spot of committing $13 million to their top two lefty defensemen. Whereas you have York and Zamul on the way, Emil Andre should be here within you know the not-too-distant future. you know, And just the money they have committed, and it's really going to hurt their 2023. And that's the thing is, the count, the, the the cap in the long term doesn't matter. Again, when when it goes up in a few years, six point two million dollars is negligible. It doesn't matter. It's the fact that twenty twenty three is probably still going to be tight. Even the cap goes up four million, like the new projection says. That's still tight. You know, it's just enough money for the Flyers to do absolutely nothing this year because of that contract. So. I don't know. I don't like it in the short term. It's fine. As long as he can keep doing what he's doing right now, which is not making any critical errors every time he steps on the ice. Like, I'm fine with it. It's it's a whatever contract. I hate the term. I hate how it hamstrings his team in the short term, which were the two biggest questions I had going in. But, you know, I guess we'll see how they handle this Provorov-Sandheim situation and where York ultimately falls because of it. It's certainly a contract that raises far more questions than it does answer anything. You're right about the Chuck Fletcher stuff because he loves getting out in front of these contracts like he did with Couturier, he did with Farabee, he did with Lawton to an extent, lesser extent. Now he does it with Sanheim. Like, I don't mind the AAV because I think the cap is going to jump. I was told earlier this morning that it's probably going to jump to $86 million, um next year. And then you're probably going to get into the 90s the following year because they're ahead of schedule and making up the revenue from the pandemic. So I think it's going to age well. Like, like I, a lot of people don't understand that, like, 
nowadays. Like, I remember in the days of, let's say, Kimo Timnan when he made six and a half. That was for, like, an elite-level defenseman. But nowadays, when you're getting elite-level defensemen making nine and a half and probably soon to be making north of ten, yeah, 6.25 is it's the fine. going rate for, yeah. like, a, a very good second pair guy. And that's what he is. Like, even when people shit on Provorov, like, oh, he gets paid, like, a number. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he gets no. paid, like, a very good number two. And pretty soon he's going to be getting paid probably like a very good number three, like 500 grand more than Sanheim. And, you know, I've heard numerous times that the Flyers like the model that the Blues have built and they think that that's a model that they could follow. And if you look how the Blues have allocated money in their top four, I think that it's like a difference of a couple hundred grand. It's like 23.5 for the Blues and 23 for the Flyers. And that's the road they're taking look i i I was told earlier this morning by not even a a source from philadelphia this was a league source that ryan ellis is done like ryan ellis is not coming back and everyone kind of knows it so if you're eliminating that 6.25 million dollars from their cap because you're you know it's gonna go in ltir or maybe they're gonna send it to i don't know seattle or chicago or arizona I honestly think that maybe they're in decent shape here. Like, I, I mean, $23 million for your top four defensemen. Obviously, that's going to go up when D'Angelo's deal expires, if they want to keep him, ditto for Provorov. But, I mean, the Sanheim thing, I, I just wish they would have maybe waited because he would have been a very good trade chip at the deadline. But, I mean, I guess they're saying we have a young top four here, and they're guys that you could commit to and yes you don't really have any one big batman but we have a a few very good robins so i don't hate the aev at all i think it's going to really age well especially when the cap goes into like the 90s i think that's going to be a very good bargain even for wrist alignment like those guys making 6.25 and 5.1 respectively i think are going to age very well i just think that like you said the term was a bit eh, and i think you could have waited a bit yeah, you know, it's fine. Uh, I, I still don't know where the hell Cam York fits in. I, I do kind of wonder where... And, you know, Morgan Frost is in a very similar situation through most of his Flyers tenure, honestly, at this point, when it comes to, like, what do you do with this kid, you know, with Cam York? When he's your theoretical top prospect who's underperforming, but he doesn't really have any, like, trade value on his own. Do you throw him in a trade somewhere along the line? Do you just kind of let him dabble in this weird in-between for a few years to see? I I have no idea. It sure doesn't feel like the Flyers like Cam York. I know Tortorella doesn't seem to like the guy very much. Um, He had that weird quote when McEwen got called up the other day about, you know, oh, well, McEwen has a good personality, and he was excited to go down, so he was high in the list of recall. And it's like, boy, who the hell was that a shot at? You know, and you look at the roster down there, there's not many people. Like, he's definitely not shitting on Max Willman. You know what I mean? Like, that was either meant for either York or Forrester, seemingly. So I have no idea what the hell the, the future holds for Cam York at this point, but it sure doesn't feel like this organization likes him. So we shall see. You know, if Zamula does show up and lock down the third spot this year, having a one-two-three punch of Provorov, Sanheim, and Zamula is not bad. Having York there, you know, in the future is not bad. But yeah, you know what? For the time being, the defense is fine as long as they can kind of get their shit together a little bit. You know, the top four should, you know, keep going. Ristolainen's been out all season. Who the hell knows when he's coming back? So, you know, that's fine. D'Angelo's only locked up for one year beyond this one, thank Christ. And then they can start to figure out what's going on beyond there. You know, this, now you have Sanheim locked up forever and the rest of the defense is, will be expiring in the, you know, semi-near future anyway. So, 
We shall see how this one ultimately plays out. But yeah, the the the, the average is fine. Whatever, six point two million dollars in a few years is going to be nothing. But yeah, I don't it's know. Crazy, what... eh? Like how we've gone to that point. Yeah, finally, fucking hell! After all these years of a flat cap, things are finally going up, and. You know, we shall see how they uh, maneuver this one. I still don't like it in the short term. You know, uh, so I don't you know. it's opposite that short term you don't like it, but long term you like it because usually it's the opposite. Yeah, I mean, and it's all cap related essentially. Like Sandheim's fine in the short term. You know, I don't like that he's locked up till he's thirty five years old. You know, that one seems like it's going to backfire sooner or later. But with the cap being negligible, it ultimately doesn't matter. You shouldn't have a problem dumping him in five years if you need to. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it, it, it's it, like that's the I think that's the hallmark kind of of Chuck Fletcher contracts is that the AAV he seems to get on guys is always very good. Like you look at Konechny, you look at Provorov, even Couturier. It's more just the the amount of years he commits to players like. Even Kevin Hayes, like, after this year, he has three years left, 7.1 million. Like, if the cap jumps to 86.5 and then over 90 the following year, like, 7.1, or he's just over 7, because I know it was 50 over 7 years. Hayes is 7.14 over three years. Okay, so 7.14. Like, 7.14 for, like, a mediocre two, very good three C is not going to seem that egregious. So, I mean, I don't think like, obviously JVR's up this year, but after that, like, I mean, you actually, I want to touch on JVR quickly. Like, obviously we've ragged on him on this show. It was a tough summer for him because everyone knew Fletcher was trying to move him. But one thing I want to say about JVR, and he doesn't fill a niche on this team, and I think that's been my base issue with him, is that he just doesn't really f- serve an actual role. But I have to say, like, good on JVR for being a consummate professional, and he plays the game the right way. He always finds a way to score goals, and for all I've kind of ragged on him over the years for, like, not really serving a purpose and not playing up to his contract and all the, that, I have to say... Even throughout all this criticism and all the legit rumors that they were trying to get rid of him, I have to commend him for really just being a good, like, all-around player and a good consummate professional. Sure. (laughs) He's 33 years old. If there's one guy in this entire roster we knew what we were going to get out of this year, it's JVR. And he's going to put up his 20 goals and 40 points. He's the slowest goddamn human I've ever seen in my own two fucking eyes. Holy (laughs) shit. But you know what? He's going to put up those points in bunches. He's doing it thus far. He's got two goals and five points in the first four games. But now he's going to go silent for, you know, two and a half months before he picks that back up again. It's just, it's JVR. This is the one guy that he just photocopies his year, year after year after year after year. You know, you knew what you were going to get. And, you know, I'm pretty sure he's, you know, if I was getting paid $7 million to move in fucking quicksand, I'd be happy too. So, sure. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say that, like... I, I it's I just can't imagine the kind of position he's been put in, you know, as a guy over the summer that everyone knew was the one that the Flyers were trying to get rid of. And I mean, I, I guess as you look at the future of this team, like we all know that Goatsy and Forster are the crown jewels, right? Like yeah. as of right now, not accounting for everyone who they draft next June. But like obviously again, just four games, but like if well, I guess touching on Morgan Frost a bit, I think he's been good. I think that he's 
played well, all things considering. Like, he's not been caved in by any stretch. Like, obviously got in favorable deployment. But I just feel like we know that he's never going to be a mega point producer in the NHL. I think he'll be like a 40-point, 50-point guy. Very good with the puck. I think he's learned to play the right way in the NHL, which is good on him. And I think he has a long-term future in the NHL. I just wonder if he has a role here because it feels like, kind of like JVR, although he's proven to be a good player, there's just real no niche for him moving forward, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. He's not a top six. He's not bad, right? He's not bad, but he's not really good either. You know, he's again one of those guys you kind of know what you're going to get, and it doesn't help that this team doesn't have any center depth or talent on the wings for that matter. Where Frost can kind of even just kind of inflate his stats a little bit, you know, he's going to be very much hung out to dry there on a regular basis. And as long as Couturier is gone, he's probably going to be your second line center. So I don't know. I, I have no idea if he's here long term. You know, he is an RFA at the end of this season, so he could be a trade chip at the deadline if you really want to do something like that. If he does, you know, semi-establish himself at the NHL level, you can try and get an extra pick for him or something like that. But yeah, I, I don't know where he fits into this team long term. Um, his play towards the sea. I mean, if he does ultimately develop into a everyday NHL, or maybe he can stick around in the bottom six somewhere. But you know, you, then you go back to the role of: Do you want Morgan Frost just chilling on your bottom six? You know, that's not really the role for him. So I have no idea. You know, he's just he's fine. You know, he had his two goals in the first game, one of which was an empty netter, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, he's so great! This is the year he's turning it around." And he's been kind of invisible for the last few after that. So he's fine, but. You know, he's he's Morgan Frost. I mean, what the hell are you going to do with this guy at this point? And, I, like, you look at his underlying numbers, even when he plays, like, I don't... He's not a bad player, and I think he has a future in this league. A hundred percent. It's just... I look at, like, the future of this, this team, and I just... I don't know where I see him. Because they have a lot of players who I think are going to be decent NHLers. Like, I think, well, Allison, You have very solid middle and bottom six here now. Yeah. Yeah, and then you look at guys in the AHL, like Denway seems like eventually he'll be a player. Wisdom, to a much lesser extent, for sure. Forster, for sure. Gautier, you have to assume. But, like, even down the middle, if now that they're playing Cates down there, which I hope that they go away from it, it's not because yes. I don't think he's done well. I think he's done very well, all things considering. And we knew, right? Like, we called this out so far ahead that he was going to become a Tortorella darling. But I just feel like, I think Bill Meltzer tweeted this out, that you take away his best asset by yep. playing him at center. Yep, I would agree. And so I hope he eventually moves to wing. But like it just feels like slowly but surely you're seeing guy, more and more guys in this system being able to play center. And obviously Katori is going to be here for the long term. You have a guy like Hayes who maybe, maybe not. I'm not convinced he'll finish out his contract here, but let's say in like a year or two from now, you're going to have Gautier here. You're probably going to have Denway here. Lazinski, I'm not sure. It doesn't seem like Tortorella is a huge fan of him. Kate seems like a serviceable 4C. Like, I don't, unless Frost starts putting up mega numbers, and again, this isn't me saying he's bad. I think he has a future in the NHL 100%. I'm just not sure if it's going to be in Philadelphia because he hasn't really done enough to separate himself from the pack, if that makes sense. Yeah, 
I hope they move Cates back to wing. I realize you're hamstring here because your general manager is a jackass who refuses to sign any center depth whatsoever. You know, and thus Cates being the best player, hey, move him to center, right? You know, but man, I I really dislike playing young guys out of their natural positions. Like Zamula on the right side, that annoys the shit out of me. Play him on the left. You know, let these guys develop at their natural positions. Let Cates develop on the wing. And then if like next year you want to try him at center and move him around later, fine. You know, he's doing, he's, he's fine. All things considered, he had the beautiful goal the other night, you know, but it just feels like you're, you're making them do things that they're not comfortable with for no real reason. You know, I, I don't know. It's just that, that, that's a big personal pet peeve of mine is, is forcing the young guys to play on their offside. Let them develop on their regular positions first. And then if you want to change them later, more power to you. But you know, I, I don't, I, I feel like Cates is more than a 4C though. You know, if Danoye and Jackson, Gautier... Jackson Cates. Oh, I thought we were talking Noah. No, no, I said that I thought, <laughs> no, no, no. I thought that Jackson Cates was a service, probably a serviceable 4C. And like, if you really wanted to play him there, but Noah Cates is best served probably as a middle six left wing. Yeah, I would agree. It's just so. Uh, it's tough because like Gautier seems to be like he is their crown jewel for sure and he's developing as a center and then you have Couturier who's probably going to be a 2C for the long haul then 3C it's probably going to be Hayes or Denoyer you're not going to play Frost as 4C I just I wonder where he fits in and again it's not because I think he's bad I think he solidified himself as an NA Cheller, it's just where does he fit long term on this team? Yeah, I don't know. You can get rid of him and get rid of Hayes and then sign Dylan Larkin and go Larkin Couturier Gautier next season. That would be ideal. But Larkin you know, they don't have the be... fucking cap to do that anymore because they committed him on a goddamn Travis Sanheim for another year. I've all I wonder <sighs> what it means for Provorov. I I don't think that they would break it up. I feel like they feel like now their top four is set. But I haven't asked my sources directly following the Sanheim extension, but like I wonder if they've made a decision on Provorov or still thinking about it because it seems like once Ristolain gets back, you finally have a top four set that could work for the foreseeable future. So why break it up, right? If they re-signed Sanheim, which they did, you would think that Provorov would need to go. But I don't really get the feeling that Provorov's going to go. You know, if there, was some, if there was some kind of, like, irreparable damage between him and the franchise, he probably would have been moved last summer for pennies on the yeah. fucking dollar because Chuck Fletcher is an idiot. But <laughs> Do you still hate Fletcher? 100%? Very much so, yes. I fucking hate Chuck Fletcher. This guy should be burned at the stake in the middle of Philadelphia. But Are there any executives, not coaches, not counting Torrell, but are there any executives with the team and hockey ups who you like right now? No, get rid of them all. Even Brett Flair. Every last one of them. Well, I mean, you know, I don't know. Flair's kind of hit or miss these days with some of these rosters. Not turning out great. But, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. Fuck this guy. I hate Chuck Fletcher. But I don't know. Okay. Uh, Chuck Fletcher versus Ron Hextall in a steel cage. Who are you helping? <sighs> Jesus. Who am I helping? Oh, God. Like, you have to slide one of them a sledgehammer <laughs> a la Ric Flair and Triple H 2003. <sighs> Jesus because it Christ. is an interesting debate when, like, you can't just... I find it funny that people can't just say, I didn't like both. It has to be one side or the other. I didn't like, like both of them. Neither one of them are looking good with the benefit of hindsight here. 
Um, yeah. I, I guess Fletcher know. just has that first season to hang his hat on, not till the very least. Great. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Three years ago, he did one good thing. Awesome. But I don't know. It's just... I hate that. I hate that they did that. I, I just, I, I can't imagine that. As long as Chikrin is in Arizona as well. Like, I don't know if Provorov has a market, you know, or what the market is on Provorov. And, and Jesus, I don't know. It's just, it sucks that they committed themselves to this. They've got so much money locked up here that it's going to be difficult to make any legitimate additions next summer. Unless they move some of these guys, whether it be Provorov or Konechny or, or Hayes. But, you know, how are you going to go about doing that? If you get cold could, feet doing anything else, like if you bring in Larkin, if your target is Larkin, this summer, he makes it to free agency, you want to sign him. Theoretically, Hayes becomes expandable and that's $7.1 million. But you know, even if the cap goes up, I don't think most teams are going to be doing much with it because I think that's going to go towards just their internal, you know, housekeeping, right? The teams that have struggled to keep their prospects and, and veterans for all these last few years, you finally get a little bit of extra money, a little bit of breathing room. But it's not enough money to go out there and go hog wild in free agency or open up your pocketbooks and start making those moves. So unless was it you the other day on Twitter like Hayes goes to Boston if if Krejci and Bergeron were like you have some yeah. money in that like you could do that. But does Chuck Fletcher pay the price to make it happen? Which I assume is still going to be relatively high. And we just saw last year that he's not interested in doing that. So would he give up picks this year if it means clearing Hayes and signing Larkin? Like. It could happen. It very well could and probably should if that was the ultimate scenario. But I just don't trust Fletcher to do it because he just fucked up this summer. You know, there's no precedent of him of him doing the right thing in this situation. I think, well, Ellis, now you could pretty much take his money off the books, right? 6.25. Like, he's going to be LTIR for forever, pretty much. So that's 6.25 million. Connect me is interesting to me because we know that they at least somewhat entertained it, but I was told quickly that the market wasn't there for how they saw him in terms of value. So I wonder if he has like a really good season, do you sell high on this guy? Like, I would, but even then they got two years at five and a half left. It's not and a then, rental. Because after that, like, I mean, because I'm looking like JVR has gone. Atkinson's at like, are there any, bad contracts left on this team most of them actually like overtly bad uh, overtly bad like where no. you're just like the aav well the couturier one can suck my ass but yeah other than that i, mean, I don't think any of them are truly terrible especially if the cap goes up like everyone shits on risto line but reality is 5.1 for risto that's fine for a right-handed defenseman that's gonna hit people sweet jesus gms in the league will line up for that guy even if they've been with that contract in full today you know i'm not even concerned about that one like once the cap i mean hayes is probably the ugliest one of the bunch hayes and couturier but outside of that i mean they're they're even hayes is he's up in like he has three years after this yeah three years at 7.1 and he's 31 years old but the thing with Hayes is that, like, in his real in real money, actually, it's weird. This year's making three point seven five, then it goes to six and a half, and then it's four four. That's a weird how they structured that. But I mean, it, I think the cap going up helps them because seven point one for a two three C isn't going to seem that bad. Because and then the Katori the Katori one for me is kind of like with Sanheim, where it's just like the AAV is so reasonable that I'm just like oh, okay, whatever. But it's just like, I don't know. None of, always, none of the contracts are terrible individually, but I don't think any the of them are overly easy to move either. 
you know, if you had to move Konechny today, could you get, like, I'm sure you could dump his cap and pay through the nose to do it, but could you get real value for him? Could you get real value for Provorov? Could you get value for Hayes? Like, you know, if push comes to shove, I'm sure you could ditch one or two of these contracts if need be, but is it just, you know, we have to give up a 2023 first to do so, the old JVR thing? You know, I, I just don't know how that cookie crumbles. And I guess we'll ultimately see when, you know, what the cap settles at by, by season's end. But I don't know. It just feels like they really, really limited themselves going into the 2023 free agent market. And with the pool as deep as it potentially could be, and as badly as the Flyers need top-end talent, you know, it doesn't feel like there's a good outcome to this one. And if they run it back next year, you know, then the question gets asked a whole lot, which is, what in the fuck are we doing here? You know, so, I don't know. We, we shall see how this one Gochi, plays out in time, but for the time Gochi being... Gochi and Forster... Yeah, you know, if Forster and Gochi show up and they're fine and, you know, you can lock up a couple of these guys. If you can get, you know, Noah Cates at three years, like one and a half or something like that, and uh, keep some of the guys that are the younger guys here on cheaper short-term deals and not sign everybody to $5 million contract right away... Then you can help utilize that money. You can utilize the ELC if you get rid of one of these fucking expensive veterans you have lingering around. You know, there are ways to maneuver through this cap. Like, it's not impossible to make the change that are necessary. But again, I just go back to whether Fletcher or not, uh, Fletcher has the, you know, talent or not um, in order to pull the right things and truly give this team the competitive edge that they want. I think it's kind of a break right now because they are re building or retooling, whatever the Christ the season is, you know, but I still don't know if this is the guy to lead them to the promised land in the long term. Well, that, like, I said it yesterday on Twitter that, like, he's lost so much trust yeah. that even for the good he does, it's not going to be allocated to him. It's going to be allocated to the players or Tortorella, which is rightfully so. It's just, it's so weird with Fletcher, man, because... I, it's like I, I, we've said this so many times that if you break down his moves individually, very few are bad moves. Yeah. But it's more like it seems like he's kind of like he just goes whichever the way the wind is blowing and there's no real concrete plan. And that maybe, you know, completely opposite from Hextall, he has too many like voices in his ear. I don't know, like, and it's like you said, like, up until he turned heel against Charlie O'Connor in July, it felt like every time he spoke, you were reassured by him. So, like, I, I don't think he's as bad as people make him out to be. I really don't. I think he's done good here, but for whatever reason, he has a very bad habit of not communicating stuff properly and not really following through with a concrete plan which is an issue but i do think he's okay at his job i just wish he would pick a, a complete direction yeah i don't think he's bad but he's just not good enough you know he's adequate he's a middle of the road general manager who most of his individual moves are fine but you know he just has not proven to be the guy to add and even just a fucking center this summer somebody like dylan strome you know, that would have gone yeah. so far in this summer. Like, it's a guy that helps. It fills a hole. You don't have to force Noah Cates to play down the middle. Like, I don't know. It's just moves like that that seem so obvious that, that they didn't do. Sam Reinhart last year is a big proponent of that one, too. You know, still salty that guy's not here. Which is the Quickly, things like that that could have, have 
made this, you know, at least better, a little bit of trust in the guy. But at this point, I think he's burned those bridges, you know, whether it's directly his fault or not, I have no fucking clue. But, you know, it, it, it's definitely past the point of redemption for this guy unless he does something absolutely bonkers at the trade deadline. And uh, again, because of his last offseason, I don't think he's going to do that. So, you know, just just very meh what, on this guy at this point. What have you thought of Nick DeLaurier? Uh, he's definitely one of the higher end fourth liners um, that we've like, seen here. Like you think here. he could actually play type of thing? Yeah, he's. I don't like that they're giving him so much penalty kill time, but yeah, he's they're he's really kind of been fine, him. all things considered. He's punching people, he's hitting people hard. He moves a little bit, so you know, as far as fourth liners goes, he's definitely of the higher end there. Um, you know, he's fine for as far as fourth liners goes. It's definitely, I guess, exceeding expectations in that role, but. You know, at the end of the day, he's he's fine. He, he's he's doing his job. He's coming as advertised um, to the people that didn't think he was just you know the worst hockey player that ever lived right off the bat. But yeah, he's fine. Like he's he can play a regular shift. Yes. Yeah. And what about McEwen? He looked like the fucking Wayne Gretzky at his absolute peak yesterday, didn't he? What the hell <laughs> got into him in that Florida game? But uh, you know, it didn't look great against Tampa. It looked pretty good against Florida. So. You know, he's a dude. I I would prefer Delorier of the two if I had to pick. Um, well, because I think Delorier could actually he could play a regular shift. That's the difference. Yeah, yeah. I, I would trust Delorier to handle something versus I think McEwen's just McEwen's an energy guy who's gonna every once in a while luck himself into something like that sealer goal, that beautiful pass instead of that backhanded sealer goal. Um, yeah, it was yeah, good point. You know, he'll luck into something. There's enough momentum there for McEwen, but I, I think McEwen's gonna be the one that's gonna take the really dumb penalty and and just not be the favorable of the one and. Tortorella does seem to like Delorier, you know, I, he seems, eh, I don't know, he didn't seem to like McEwen after the first one, but after last night, I don't know if he ever, uh, I didn't read it through the postgame press or anything to find out, but, you know, we shall see. I, I really hope those two aren't both in the same lineup at the same time long term, but especially if Lazinski's out of the picture, they very well might be. With this new guy, this Jason Sudeikis guy, whatever they signed, Nick, Nick, oh, Nick Sedlak, Suck My Nuts, whatever the hell his name is. Sedlak. S- sure, Sedlak. Whatever the hell, I don't know. There's a Tortorella guy that'll eat up minutes, you know. It's not seemingly not ideal, but I don't know. What the hell are you going to do, right? I think one thing that we have to realize here when people bitch that McEwen's in the lineup is that literally, like, they're on to, like, their 16th forward. And that's not counting Brink and Brown. We're not going to count Brink and Brown, but, like, just with Atkinson, Tippett, and Couturier... They're on to their forward number 16, and I don't think having McEwen as your 16th forward is all that bad. No, it's fine. Yeah. You know, once once everyone gets healthy and we kind of see what this forward lineup can look like, you know, whether we see that at all this season, who the hell knows, I suppose. But, you know, you know hopefully once Atkinson comes back and you get some bodies back here and you can start filling them out, not only does it add a little bit of talent, but it should theoretically get with some of these depth guys as well, so... We'll see. We'll see how that works uh, as we move along here. But yeah, fine with the Laurier. Very meh on McEwen. He's whatever, you know, as he was last season. So yeah, fourth line is uh, full of face punchers here in 2022. I guess maybe it's just the old school in me, but I don't know. I like seeing the effort from Zach McEwen. Like, obviously, he's not a great actual player, but I, it's so evident how much he cares about trying to be good. It's just sometimes it's, almost to a detriment 
And I think all in all, that's just the biggest positive so far is like it doesn't seem like there are any obvious passengers on the team. No, they're all trying so far. That's that's for goddamn sure. Um, it'll be about whether or not that that effort keeps up all season long. Um, I guess that's probably the biggest question mark moving forward at this point is what does this team look like? How do they rebound after a loss? How do they rebound after multiple losses? Are they still playing with high energy, you know, in the face of adversity? Can can they overcome? I think that'll be the uh, the next big question. And with Tortorella at the helm, you would think that uh, he would prevent a lot of that from happening. But we've seen what this team does when losses rack up over the last few years. So you're right. You know, we shall see. It'll be the big question moving forward. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess... As we wrap this up, we are more positive, okay, like, I guess we're as They have my attention right now. Because of the effort. Because of the effort. You know, it's not a dreadful process turning on a Flyers game. Like, I thought I would absolutely hate my fucking life turning them on and watching their night. So far, I have not. That day may come. We've got 77 games left. It's always possible. But, uh, so far tentatively so good like it's fine it's definitely better than what i expected without being too good which is just the fucking motto of the philadelphia flyers for most of their history i suppose that's completely fair so i'm with you at least it's something new right yeah we've been asking for something new and we got it we this is certainly something new that's for god the i'm sure so i mean I, it's nice to see like just them doing something different as opposed to trying to dupe or dupe themselves into being a competitive team. Yep, they're they're trying something new, and now it's about how this team lasts in the long term and what they do next off season to supplement them. You know, but th- those are questions for for a later day, I suppose. But you know, the day by day here should be um, fairly decent for the next little while. So there you go, everyone. I guess we'll uh, call it a day here. We got. Yeah, I got two more shows to do tonight. Got Jesus. You're Nick, really putting yourself to work, huh? Yeah, Nick coming back with the, we'll talk reverse retros. Uh, we're going to rank them all in the league, and then we'll do a sisterly pod, which we'll record the night. That'll probably go up Saturday, maybe Sunday. We shall see on that one. But, yeah, so that's the schedule. Shane's back on Monday. We'll be back sometime next week. Uh, new Frequent Flyer. We've got two pre-recorded Frequent Flyers that can go up sometime as well. So plenty of shit coming up on this one. Um, plenty of stuff on the website. All kinds of NHL 23 reviews. Working on the reverse retro jerseys. Uh, 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 rankings, rankings myself. <laughs> that'll be up uh, soon after this. So... There you go, at Dan the Flyer Fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod, and BrotherlyPuck.com. Did you know, by the way, this is episode 100 of Flyers AD? Jesus, so three years, I would say. We started 2019. Yeah, and that's just Flyers AD. That's not even the interviews or whatever the hell the first show was called. This is just, fuck. fuck, you're probably closing in on 200 total episodes at this point. Shit, so I mean, do you hate me yet? <laughs> I just, yeah. <laughs> You're it, in the top no, third honestly, of co-hosts I have. How about that? Okay, that's fair. You know, there's like <laughs> four, but okay, fine. I'll, I'll deal with that. But honestly, no, that now that you say it kind of puts it into perspective, like obviously both of us started on OMB together and it's cool that we've been able to do this for as long as we have. It's, uh, it's uh, obviously you were the first one to kind of give me this consistent platform. I guess OMB, but I wasn't overly consistent all the time, but uh no, it's been fun. I guess. Uh, do you have one specific uh, memory from the shows we've done together? Hmm. I've delivered some of my best uh, best rants on this show. I know that for sure. 
I think I had a bad meltdown here once. And a couple times, yeah. Quote, I'm I'm scared. Yeah. Which, because I'm not very... I don't usually go off the rails. Yeah, I don't remember what that was about, but there have been one or two times where you've uh, let loose over the last couple of years. No, it's uh, it's been fun, honestly. it's I think we've really gelled together. And even as like you do your 55 other shows a week and I do my stuff with Jason, I think it's really cool that we could find the time each and every week and you're you're super flexible like my schedule maybe you could tell the listeners what you have to deal with to try and schedule a show with me <laughs> well we were gonna go yesterday at two and then we were gonna do a post game and then we were gonna do it at 6 p.m pre-game and then we we're gonna do a post game and then we moved it back to today till noon so <laughs> yeah you know no. it bumps around a, a little bit yeah no it's uh i have a very hectic schedule between the fourth period stuff and my day job and I don't think everyone knows that I actually do wrestling stuff, too. <laughs> That's the funny part. I actually have a wrestling podcast. Uh, are you a wrestling guy, Dan? Were you? Are you? I was when I was a kid. Uh, it's been it's been a hand. I did have to watch. I was covering MMA for a while in 2016. So I oh, was nice. tasked with covering Raw a couple times in that era. The Rollins and Balor stuff. Um, so that would be the most recent experience I have from most of that. But a lot of it was uh, Edge and the Undertaker when I was a kid. Shit. So all in all, you're just like, no, idiot. I'm an adult now. I don't watch wrestling. <laughs> eh, it's fine. I just don't no, uh, don't have time to carve into my regular lifestyle uh, schedule at this point. So, well, look, we're we're all busy here, and obviously, like, I think that it's cool to see like how we've both grown over the last hundred episodes. Again, not accounting for the interviews or the first show we did or Brotherly Pod. Like, I mean, when you look back as I go on this sentimental diatribe <laughs> how have both of us evolved do you think since we started doing this show in 2019 oh, we both developed into real hosts yeah, real true. thing our respective brands have grown and you know it's come a long way yeah that's that's for goddamn sure i think you have a host have come a long way um in terms of your your uh, speaking abilities and whatnot so yeah come come a long way in the show and uh the first the first spin-off show i believe to hit 100 episodes so there you go. Because did Angry Negative not even get to 100? It got to like 94 or something like that. Fuck. And then you had BPW Radio, which you put on the back burner. B yeah, BPW. I don't know what that made it at. And topped out maybe 30 or 40, something like that. Everyone else uh, is going to hit 100. Uh, frequent flyers in the mid-80s. Flyerside chats up in 74, 75 now. So by season's end, they'll all uh, probably clip 100 as well. But you're the first one to make it there, so... Yeah. Uh, all right, man. Well, <laughs> I guess uh, we'll end this. Uh, you know, if we were in person, we could hug and kiss and cry. Yeah. And all this. But, uh, <laughs> we'll we'll arrange that for we'll the two hundredth episode. How about that? Exactly. Maybe when we're just old. <laughs> yeah. When we're like sixty years old and all that. Episode seven hundred or something like that. When life doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Flyers will still be shit. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, Maybe they will get to the second round. Oh, no. No, they made the second round in the bubble. The third round. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Fuck. <Jesus. laughs> God. Um, did you give your Twitter handle? Did I cut you off before we did that? Yeah, you dick. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's Adamarker25. <laughs> All right, everyone. Until next time, goodbye and good night.